I always remember as a kid in London when you hear the, um, in the underground when it says, mind the gap. Mind the gap. And that terrifying idea that you could actually slip through the gap. And uh, it's kind of iconic now for London, isn't it? You see T-shirts that just say, mind the gap. And it's an interesting thing, the gap. The gap between our current experience and the prophetic promises and the dreams and what God's called us to. And that if we're going anywhere in God, there's always a gap between where we currently are and where God is taking us. And I want to talk very briefly about how we handle the gap between where I am, where we are right now, and where God is taking us. It's interesting, I was looking back at some old journals I've written, because I like to journal at least two or three times a week, and I was looking back at an old journal from 2010 when we had first moved to London, and I was looking back at some of my goals and dreams and expectations for this church that we had come to lead. And it was interesting to look back on something from seven years ago and realise, wow, the dreams I had, the expectations of God I had, were so tiny. And it's wonderful when you think, actually, God, over the last seven years, you've grown what I'm looking for. You've grown my expectations. Back then, the expectation was just get as many people into a meeting on a Sunday. (laughs) That was the goal. That was the dream. And it was then really about how could you improve... Um, preaching, how could you improve structure, how could you improve strategy how could you improve profiling and publicity in order to get as many people into the building as possible and I don't think there's anything wrong with any of those things but it just seems now looking back those dreams seem quite small (laughs) because we're believing that God's bullseye the target that God's after is an apostolic target which is an assignment to bring heaven to earth. That we're not just about creating great meetings where people come in, but actually we're about an apostolic move of God for the transformation, the serving and the tending and the care and the reshaping of everything. And that's the journey we're on. And we're a bit like Abraham, where we're growing from faith to faith and becoming fully persuaded and fully convinced of what it is that God has called us to. And it's amazing the things that we're believing now, and we're genuinely believing them. We're genuinely believing that our businesses, our families, our local churches are outposts of heaven, and that we are an apostolic sent people to bring heaven to earth everywhere we go, through our words, through the things that we do. But there's still a gap, isn't there, between what we're currently experiencing and what we're becoming fully persuaded and convinced about. There's still a gap between what we're hoping to see and what we are seeing. The testimonies are increasing. The amount of people getting healed in workplaces, in the streets. The amount of um, sicknesses that are being defeated is increasing and increasing and increasing. But there's still that gap, isn't there? I know there's a gap for us as we look at our local environment and we look at the poverty and we look at the reality that men live 10 years less where we live than they do four miles up the road because of issues of 
alcoholism and, and drugs and poverty and issues around diet. We're still living with that gap. And I want to talk about what we do with that gap. Because there's two deadly responses we can have to the gap, to minding the gap. And the first deadly response we can have to the gap is harsh introspection to the gap. We can say, okay, there's this gap between my dream, the prophetic promise and where I'm going, and I'm going to find the solution by looking inwards. That I'm going to look inwards and I'm going to find the block, because the block has to be in me somewhere. And so we go inwards to try and find the problem, the issue, the thing that we believe is stopping us bridging the gap. And that's a deadly response because I think there's nothing wrong with sometimes asking ourselves the question, why am I in a foul mood? Why do I struggle with this issue? Why have I got this emotional perspective? Why do I see the world through the lens of negativity? There's nothing wrong with those moments where we look for Christ for a breakthrough. There's nothing wrong with knowing what the issue is so that we can come to Jesus and say, this is the issue. I struggle with unbelief. I struggle with rejection. I struggle with negativity. I think the danger, though, is when we think the whole issue is us. And we think, if only I could fix me, then the gap would be plugged. Then we would see this happen. And I think it makes ourselves into our own saviours when we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author of faith, yeah. who, who, who causes us to believe at higher and greater levels. And so I think there's a danger where we think, I'm going to plug the gap from fixing me. I'm going to plug the gap through peeling the onion. If I could just peel the onion and get one layer off me and then somehow the core, no, actually, we're already glorious, we're already new creations, we've already gone from darkness to light, we already have been transformed. What we're realising is we're waking up to the reality of who we already are. That sonship, that daughterhood is the greatest prophetic word about your potential in the whole world. That he calls you a son, he calls you a daughter, he calls you at home, he says you're with me and everything I have is yours. That's the greatest thing, we need our eyes fixed on him and getting his assessment. Because plugging the gap through introspection is unhelpful. And I can say it's unhelpful because I happen to go on a 20-odd year journey of trying to do it. (laughs) Thinking that I could fix me. The other unhelpful thing is where we believe that to bridge the gap, we need the magic bullet. By that I mean that if we're going to bridge the gap between the effectiveness of our lives or our business or our local church or our charity, that we're going to bridge that gap somehow through the magic bullet, the magic program, the magic resource, the magic strategy. And I'm all for those things. I think that God gives strategy, God gives wisdom, God gives courses, God gives programs, God gives ideas, God gives us things to do that are momentum-giving ideas and momentum-giving wisdom. There's nothing wrong with those things, they're amazing. But the danger can be that we're looking for the, a program in order to get the job done. And I had a meeting last week, and I thought the question was a really good question on culture. And the question was this, tell me what works, tell me what you've done, tell me what doesn't work. And I thought that's a really interesting question, but it made me think actually there's a danger in the question because we can suddenly think that culture is the new program that getting a new 
culture, just speaking about some new ideas and throwing some new ideas out. If we could just get people to understand some new concepts and new ideas, then that would bridge the gap between what we want to see now and what we want to see in the future. And I think there can be a danger in that. Because as someone who's actually managed different transitions, remember the transition for us was from house group to cell. And we grab hold of a, an, East, an Asian model, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with cell church, but we believe that the answer was a program. We believe that the answer was a, embracing a new wineskin, a new way of doing it, that that was going to solve the missional issue. So our confidence cannot be in ourselves, in trying to fix ourselves and heal ourselves, and our confidence cannot be in finding a new program or just finding some new language to do what we've always done. So what is the answer then to bridging the gap? The answer is this, I believe. It's actually redefining what success looks like. It's redefining what it means to be fruitful. God said to me yesterday, and it's kind of raw because it's fresh, but being authentic, you can't just tell the stories from 10 years ago, because sometimes they're the easy stories to tell. I was like this 10 years ago, and now I'm not. Actually, I was like this yesterday morning, to a certain extent. I said to God, what I really want to do for the next hour is moan. (laughs) That's what I really want to do, and I want to tell you everything I'm grumpy about and everything I'm disappointed about and, and everything that isn't quite working. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but for me, I thought, actually, that, that hasn't worked and we've been doing that for 20-odd years. <laughs> so, as much as that's what I really want to do, I kind of fast-forward and thought, actually, that doesn't really produce much, does it? So, I, I decided to do what I've been doing recently more and more, is using declarations and just worshipping. And I don't think my worship time was <laughs> the most expressive or exuberant or the most passionate I'd ever been in, but it was singing to him, even from a heart that was thinking, God, the gap is so overwhelming between the promise and the reality. And then I just sat there, and I heard, it wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't. <laughs> it was, Similar to what we just heard. (laughs) You've got the wrong definition of fruitfulness. You've got the wrong definition of fruitfulness. That actually, fruit... is, ...is what it talks about in Galatians. Living by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, and, and it's, it's, it's loving, it's joy, it's shalom, it's peace, it's an inner world free from irritation and agitation, it's self-control, the ability to direct yourself even when you're under pressure. Could it be that everything else is byproduct? That everything else, church is full of new believers, passionate, exuberant worship, 
communities being impacted by the goodness and the grace and the kindness of God, that reshaping the whole world, all of that is actually byproduct of an encounter with a wonderfully good father. And it was like he said one sentence, and I thought, that's light. That's easy. That sounds fun. Because haven't we all been there? Maybe in local churches, maybe you're in a small local church. Like we would be a small local church. And you're longing. Because you're longing, because numbers matter, because people matter. You know, it's not that we. <coughs> But there can be so many things that we put our hope in and our, our, our security in, like growth and like impact and how many people are getting saved. But what a joy and what a relief if we say all of that is pure byproduct of an encounter with God and living by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit and God rubbing off on us and us getting God's heart and us becoming increasingly like God and thinking like God. And it's true that in Acts they were incredibly strategic, but how much was the suddenly? How much was the Paul saw there was faith to be healed? Great joy broke into that city when Barnabas, the son of encouragement, turned up. Stephen, who gives that magnificent preach in Acts 6, is it? clearly understands who Jesus is what Jesus has done and the implications of the cross and the resurrection and he sees heaven open moments of just unplanned unforced Peter goes up on the rooftop and falls into a trance which opens up the apostolic mission to the Gentiles as Cornelius asks him to come how many moments are there of course, like Paul goes to Philip and he looks for where people gather and he speaks and God opens Lydia's heart. There are strategic moments. Paul understood his apostolic call and to go to regions beyond and to go where others haven't yet gone. But so much was we have been enculturated, we have been impacted, we have been around Jesus, we've caught Jesus' heart. And I feel like it's so crucial for us because we are believing God for things that 20 years ago we weren't believing. I'm believing things that five years ago I wasn't believing for. And so we're asking, how are we going to have longevity? How are we going to have perseverance? How are we going to go for it when we see the gap between what we hope for and what we don't yet have? And it's going to be through being around a person called Jesus Christ. It's going to be around overflow, byproduct. But if fruitfulness is this, when people bite into your life, as it were, you taste like Jesus. Read that in Van and Leach's book. That's fruit. That's abundant fruit. That's what Jesus has chosen us and committed himself and said, I'm going to make you abundantly fruitful. And then that fruitful life will go out and see people saved. Don't we long for being in an environment increasingly? God speaks, we know what to do, we can see faith, we act, we're bold, we're courageous, we're full of love, compassion, patience and joy and peace. And wherever we go, we leak that out. That's not a program. 
although it can come through a program. But it's ultimately an encounter with a person who rubs off on us when we're around him. The key thing is God rubbing off on us. The key thing is the transformation of the mind, that we think like God. And in a sense, that's what God was saying yesterday. Yeah, you could have, generally, yeah, you could have an hour and no, and I would have listened to every single moan and groan. Someone's parents listen to every single moan and groan of a three-year-old, don't they? And that's what your prayer would have sounded like. I would listen to the whole thing, and I've listened to every single one of those prayers as a good father. But you need to think like me. You need to think like I think. You need to reason how I reason. You need to look at your church and your family and your community and your workplace and your business and your charity. And you need to reason like me. Think like me. Come to conclusions like I come to conclusions about them. That's what getting heaven's culture is all about. That's what it's all about. And we've done things like we preached a year through culture. And I love preaching through a year through culture. And it was important. But I've come to realise it's not the end. It's when I get heaven's culture in me. And then I react to every situation, every person, every disappointment, every letdown from the perspective of another culture that's different to my culture. That's heaven's culture. That's heaven's lived out behaviour. That's heaven's natural lived out behaviour. That when I'm disappointed, when I'm confronted with someone who's let me down that actually I'm seeing that person from God's perspective, from God's culture, from God's heart, who never ever stops believing, who never ever stops loving, who never ever lays his faith down about that person but keeps believing, who never comes to the point where he says, I'm just totally disappointed with you. It's a reason that God can't be disappointed with us. Because to be disappointed is to come to the conclusion that this cannot happen for that person. That God coming to the conclusion, I have now met the person that I can't change, that I can't ignite faith in. I'm disappointed. Now, God can't be disappointed because he's the God of all hope. And because we start off glorious. And then he just works out in time what we already are. What a redemptive, wonderful king he is. And so... We're going to look at things in October and November about getting this in our hearts. I love what Bill Johnson says about he just breaks off a piece of his life and gives it to somebody. Oh, that's how you travel around the world. That's how you land jet lag and you preach again. That's how you go and go and go and go. Because you're not trying to hype anything. Yeah, there's intentionality, but you're just breaking off your encounters with Jesus and you're feeding and you're feeding and you're feeding and you're feeding. And that's how we change a culture. Crucial to having an internal reality that marries and matches heaven's culture is getting God's voice in our hearts, God's tone in our hearts, God's well done in our hearts. And that the way we reason about ourselves and the way we reason about our circumstances and the people in our lives and the way we reason about God is matching the tone of voice that we see in the scriptures. That we hear God's well done. That we hear God's pleasure. We hear God's satisfaction. 
Dear friends, if you're in a church and you're pioneering and, and, and sometimes there's only 10, 12 people there, that you can hear the well done of heaven. Say, well done, son. Well done, daughter. I'm so pleased with you. You've come again with faith. You've come again with expectation. You've come again to see me move, to see me heal, to see me change, to see me transform. Well done. Because sometimes we can be in these pioneering environments where what we see is such a gap between what we're believing for, then the accuser's voice comes in and says, call yourself a pioneer. (laughs) Call yourself a leader. Really, are you going to do that? We need to hear the Father's voice saying, well done, I'm so pleased with you. You're doing such a good job. I'm not disappointed with you. I'm so encouraged by you because my index of success is fruit. My index of success is your patience when it's difficult and when it's not going your way. My index of fruit is how you're loving and how you're, 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 you're loving people and you're loving yourself and you're loving me. That's the fruit. It's your joy. I love in Nehemiah where... Ezra's just read the law and they're all they're weeping and they're realising they're fallen short of the law and Nehemiah says no this is a time for partying this is a time for rejoicing the joy of the Lord is your strength and it's a moment I'm going to rejoice right now because you've seen where you've fallen short of that's a wonderful revelatory moment I know the gates are not yet in place in the city but rejoice now that is a sign and a wonder I think when what we see with our eyes doesn't distort what we feel in our hearts and the faith that we have. That's getting heaven's culture. So without heart culture, without heart culture, without identity being clear, all we have is performance and acting. Without heart culture lining up with how heaven views us, how heaven views our circumstances, and just naturally living out of that, All we have is performance. And performance is not going to nurture, reshape and change the world. We can't do it by performance. We can't do it by looking inwards and trying to fix something. That just makes us exhausted, frustrated and irritated. And we can't do it by just thinking there's a magic bullet out there, there's a magic program out there, there's a magic course out there, there's a magic person out there. Oh, if only you had four of the magic people, we'd have it. You are that person. It's you. It's you believing God and believing what he says. You are that culture-shaping, changing church leader, business person, mum, dad, family. You, you, You are. That's who you are. That's the prophetic assessment of God over you. That's who you are. So all transformation, all reshaping, all longevity, all perseverance is about getting God's culture in your heart, of becoming, like we say a lot, believing believers who actually believe. That's who we're becoming. That's what we're becoming fully persuaded by. That's what we're becoming fully convinced by. That we're those like Abraham who can say, I know the dead areas in my life. I know the barren places in my life. I know the places that have never been fruitful and never reproduced, but I have a promise. And that promise was given... And he knew where I was dead, and he knew where I was barren, but the promise depends upon the promise giver and the promise keeper, and the one who can create something out of nothing, who is the God of all hope, who has the power to do what he has promised. Because if it isn't a promise, then it's a wage, and a wage is something you get if you deserve it, and you've earned it, and you've worked for it. But we're not those who earn things, we're those of grace. 
and we're those who receive promises as a gift. I'd love to just advise this guy. I want to pray for us. I have a real heart for people who are in pioneering situations and you can see the gap. Just today, just a rest would come over you and a fresh peace would come over you and just an easiness would come over you. That you would have joy like you've never ever had it before. That you can have joy now. You can have joy when the gates are not in place in the city. You can have joy now when you just see where you're going and you haven't got it yet. That joy is going to be a marker. because faith birthed in joy. You're going to be believing at a higher level. You're going to be looking at the dead things. You're going to be looking at the barren areas. You're going to have hope because you've got a promise. Because you've got a promise that it's not just going to be a culture that you articulate, but it's going to be a culture that governs your heart and rules you. It's going to be the way you speak. It's going to be the way you reason. It's going to be the way you think. It's going to be the way you interact with your community. So we say, now God, let hope arise. Let hope arise. Let new levels of joy come. Pioneering people, let new levels of joy come to you in your pioneering situations where you see the gap, where you see the gap. You just break the power of introspection right now. You just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. That's all you need. He will take responsibility for the fruit. We say that hope arise, that joy arise, that peace arise in Jesus' name. We're a joyful, celebrating company. We're a joy company. Whoa, we're a joy company. We're a celebrating people because we know God and we know how the promise came. Yeah, let there be something even this Sunday different for you as you stand in front of the people, as you lead the people. A new hope, a new joy. Bless you, God.